Well, if you would all turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's found on page 910 and 911. So just give you a context, it's been two weeks since I preached where we are. We're looking at one, really one of the most important events in the book of Acts, really in, in all of church history. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And Pentecost was really an answer to a promise that Jesus had given. And we see this in the theme verse of, of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus promises the disciples, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit is the answer. He is the Holy Spirit who gives this power. And the Holy Spirit, who is God, the third person of the Trinity, among other things, what he does, he enables the church to fulfill this mission, to be the witness for Jesus. And during Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, and he came down with a, with a sound of a rushing wind and with tongues of fire that were resting on the disciples. And, and we looked at the, the, the significance of these symbols uh, two weeks ago in the sermon. But the immediate manifestation of the Spirit's power was he gave the disciples this ability to speak in language that they didn't know, unknown tongues. Now, these were languages, these were real language, and there were people in Jerusalem who heard, and heard them speaking, and they heard them speaking their own language, and this got the people's attention. And in, chapter 12, in verse 12 of chapter 2, we're told that, that when the people heard them speaking in this language that they, that they knew, they heard them speaking about Jesus, they were amazed, they were perplexed, they, they wanted to know what was going on, they asked, what does this mean? But we're also told in, in verse 13 that there were others who mocked them. They said, oh, they, they've been drinking too much. They're drunk. They, they, they had it filled with, with new wine. And the passage that we're looking at this, this morning, this is Peter's explanation of what happened. He's, he's answering this question. He's telling them the significance of this miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Peter, and, and, and this is, this is a, a sermon, but we're not going to look at it as a sermon. We're going to look at it as a response. We're going to look at it as, as a response, really, that all of us, can give it. It's, it's really a, a testimony, a model testimony. And that's how we're going to look at it today. We're going to look at it as, as model testimony. And Peter is, is showing us what our witness is to look like, our witness for Christ is supposed to look like. So this is extremely practical. It's extremely applicable to every single Christian. So oftentimes you see someone that's a sermon. That, that's only applicable to preachers. No, it's applicable to all of us. So Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. Hear now the word of the living God. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowds. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. 
This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here today. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, and he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you see now and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's pray. Lord, this is an amazing story. This is the first Christian sermon that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost, and we saw how your spirit moved mightily. 3,000 souls were, were changed, were, were added. Lord, we know that it only comes from you. And Father, I pray that you will anoint my words as I preach, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit, your Holy spirit will work. The power comes there. Lord, we pray that you will be seen, you will be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago when I was preaching on the, the purpose of Pentecost, we saw that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit really in, in, enabled to, to enable us to fulfill this mission that he has given the church, this mission to be his witnesses. And you remember when I finished and I made the application of that sermon, I gave a charge. I gave a charge to the congregation. Do you remember what that charge was that I gave to the congregation? The charge was to be witnesses, to deliberately pick one person that week that you'd go out and you'd speak to him, and you would be a witness of, of what God has done to you, what Christ has done to you. So here's the question. Did any of you do it? Any of you do it? Were any of you witnesses this week? Let me see a show of hands. I tell you, my application, oh, but I, got, I got one. That's a one. Well, I guess one out of 30 is, is, is better than none out of 30, right? But that was a challenge. And, and, and the question is, why, why don't we do it? The reason we don't do it is because it's hard. It's hard. It really is. It's hard. We don't, we don't know how to do this. We, we, sometimes we don't even know where to start to do this. So don't feel bad if you didn't do it because like only one person has done this. It's hard. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a model. Peter gives us a model on how we can do this. 
how we can share our testimony. This is really a model testimony. And what we see here is, is, in Peter is, is, is a testimony, it, it, it's a response. It, it, it's a response to something that was initiated. So what, basically what we're going to do, we're going to look at the, the, the different phases. There's five steps that we're going to look at this here. So this first step that we're going to look at is Peter's testimony is a response. It's a response to something else. It's not something that he initiated. It was initiated by the Holy Spirit. See, Peter's not starting from scratch. Peter's not walking down the streets in Jerusalem and just starting to find people at random and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me start talking to you about Jesus. Mind your own business. That's not what he's doing. The Holy Spirit initiated this interaction. The Holy Spirit was the start of this uh, interaction. The events of Pentecost and, and specifically this supernatural ability to speak in unknown languages, that was the spark. That was the thing that got their attention. Verse 12, the men of of Jerusalem. They're hearing this, this testimony in their own native language. They're amazed. And they, they say, I don't understand this. They say, what does this mean? So Peter has the answer. Peter is answering this question. His response is an answer to question. It's an explanation of what they had just experienced. And my friends, the same principle applies to our witness. See, we don't initiate a witness. We, we don't just go down the street. And I've tried this. You walk up to people and just start talking about Jesus. Usually it doesn't go well. I know when I first became a Christian, I was really annoying to everyone that I knew because I constantly wanted to bring up my religious views. I was constantly trying to manipulate the, the conversations. And again, it didn't go well. I was pressuring people, and they didn't really like that. And you could just ask Lynn about how, how much I tried to nag everyone into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We can't force a situation. Rather, what we have to do is we have to wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must initiate the conversation. And it's amazing. I see this now. I don't, I don't force it. I see conversations come all the time to me. I don't force it. People come to me. When I, go, when, when I used to go to visit my family, I'd always try to see how I can manipulate. No, I don't. I just sit there and people come and ask me questions. It's the Spirit that's doing it. And the Spirit can use something in, in, in our lives. He can use our character. That's why we should have a, a godly character. We should be a light. He could use the, the supernatural peace that we show, the joy that we have because of our, because of our union with Christ. He could use the way we handle adversity. We don't like this. But why do you think God allows Christians to go through adversity? I mean, there's many ways. Many is, is to sharpen us, to make us more like Christ. But it's also an opportunity for us to be a witness. See, when, when a Christian gets cancer and a non-Christian gets cancer, there should be a difference. And when people see that difference, they want to know why. It, it, it sparks the conversation. He can use the, the countercultural way we respond to criticism and adversity. When someone criticizes, we don't act like it's a response. We don't act like the world. That gets their attention. They want to know. They want to know how we can love our neighbors, how we can love our enemies as ourselves. This is not natural. And all of these things are opportunities for a gospel witness. See, the Holy Spirit, what he's doing, he's piquing the interests of these unbelievers. And they're amazed, as we see in verse 12, they're amazed and they're seeking an explanation for something they don't understand. And that's where we come in. We come in with that explanation. And the Holy Spirit may also use some specific events and, and issues in the lives of the unbelievers themselves. I mean, I've had, I've had so many encounters with, with nominal believers and unbelievers, and, and, just, and they don't even understand it. They're, they're, they're telling me things that are going on in their lives, and so I don't even know why I'm telling you these things. It's the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is bringing to mind for them to bring these things to us. I remember we would have, a, a Lynn, Lynn teaches a, a obedience class at her clinic. And at the end of it, we would do what we call the parable of the pooch. And I would give a simple illustrations using the dogs of the gospel. But the best 
conversations come afterwards. It's not necessarily that they, they're wowed by my gospel presentation. Afterwards, they start talking. They start asking questions. They start asking for prayer. And then we see the Holy Spirit working in these situations. And what the Holy Spirit does is he's working in the lives of all of these people that we're coming in contact with. We don't even know what he's doing. But the Holy Spirit directs them to us as believers. And we, and we basically take them from, from, from one step to another. You can, you can think of, of, of an unbeliever as like the scales of unbelievers. There's steps, like A to Z. Like A could be completely hostile to Christianity, want to have nothing to do with it. Z is a born-again believer. Well, there are people all along the way in that, in, on that spectrum. And what the Holy Spirit does is he brings them to certain people at certain times. And your job may be to bring them from E to F. That's it. Not necessarily bring them from A to Z. You might bring them to A to B. You might, you, you might have the privilege of taking them from Y to Z. We've got to be careful we don't get proud and think that we've done the whole thing. We only took that last step. But the Lord uses us in all that, in our witness. It's not an invalid witness if a person's not saying the sinner's prayer. You might just be taking them from I to you know, the J and, and, and K and so forth down, down the, the line. So we need to understand that's what it is. And, and, and the other thing is we can't control these encounters. These encounters are initiated by the Holy Spirit. We cannot initiate them. But we can do is we can pray for them. We can be ready when the Lord brings them to us. We can have our eyes open, our eyes open to where the Lord is working, and we can go into those spots where the Lord is working. And, and frequently, basically this means just being available, not being rushed, not being so preoccupied to use every single minute that we have of the day efficiently. Sometimes it means just sitting around. I remember sitting, I had to get my car worked on at the dealership, and I was sitting there, and I brought my, my computer to, to work on a sermon to use the, the time. And there was a lady sitting next to me, and we just started talking. And she was talking, and, and it, was, it was right after COVID, and, and there were some issues that she went through, and people she knew who died. I had this great conversation because I was available. And, and one of the things that's, that's, that's really sad is one of the best places it used to be planes. I mean, you think about an airplane. What better? You're stuck with someone for a couple hours. What better way to make the time go to talk to someone? But I know the last couple of times, probably for the last several years, I've been on, on a planes. I have never even talked to the person. I, I come on the plane, and the people are not even looking at me. They've got earphones on, and I'll go through the whole thing and not have a single interaction. I mean, I think the, these, these things are really dangerous because what they do is they distract us and they have us in our, our own world and focus on ourselves. And Christian, we do the same thing. And we're not open. We're not, we're not seeing where the Holy Spirit is working. So we're not open to these, to, to these uh, um, opportunities that the Holy Spirit gives us. So this is the first thing we see in Peter's model testimony. Our, our witness is always a response. It's a response to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a faithful response to the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the second element that we see in, in this model testimony. The second thing we see here is the foundation of Peter's testimony is Scripture. Scripture is the foundation. We see this in verses uh, 17 through 21 with this long quote from Joel, as well as the shorter quotes that we see from the Psalms. And it's very important. What Peter is doing here is he's showing them that what they're experiencing, this, this thing that's amazing, that's perplexing them, this is not something random. This is not something unexpected. The scriptures foretold it. The scriptures explained what, not only that this would happen, but what it means. So he goes back to scripture. See, scripture is our anchor to reality. See, it's only through the the lens of scripture that we can actually make any sense of this fallen world. And and a couple of weeks ago in the children's message, I used the illustration of a map. And, And scripture is kind of like our map. 
I mean, think about if you're hiking in the woods. See, the, the map not only directs you to where you're going, but it also tells you what you can expect along the way. And you can look at the map, a topographical map. You can tell if the, if the trail is going to get steep. I know when we were, we were uh, hiking in Alaska a couple of weeks ago, uh, we didn't have one of those maps, and we thought the trail was going to be pretty simple. And then we got to where we were practically climbing uh, directly uphill. And you could ask Nathan trying to do that with Elias around his, uh, on his back. If we had a map, we would have known what to expect. If there's a stream, if there's a cliff, we would know what to expect. Well, Scripture is this map. It tells us what the terrain to expect. So we're not taken by surprise like we were when we were in Alaska and taken by surprise how difficult that hike got. So this is what, what you know, life in a fallen world, it, it's unpredictable. It's, it's out of control. But what Scripture does is it gives us the overall trajectory, the overall purpose of life in this fallen world. And when we face these trials and tribulations, we're not surprised. We're not discouraged. Scripture tells us how, not only what it means, but how we can handle it, how we can be successful. I'm going to give this, this story. I've told it before, but I, I, think, it, I think this really illustrates a, a, a good use of, of how the Bible is used in our lives. And some of you may remember, nine, summer of 1999, summer of 1999, uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., son of the, the late president, he and his wife and his sister-in-law, they, got, they took off, and he was a private pilot, took off from an airport in uh, New Jersey, and they were flying to their vacation home in, in Martha's Vineyard. And they, they got off late, and now Kennedy, when they found the, the, uh, the, the, his plane crashed and they were killed, and when they found that the reason for this crash is Kennedy, although he was a pilot, he was not trained on instruments. He's not rated on instruments. So the way he would fly is he basically follow the land and follow the, the contours of the land to get where he was going. But the problem was with the time and, and the weather and where he was going over the water, he didn't, have the, he didn't have the landmarks to direct him. And he got disoriented. And he wound up flying his plane right into the ocean. He, he couldn't tell the difference between the ocean and, and, the, and the sky where he's pl- flying. But if he understood, if he knew instruments, if he was rated on his instruments, his instruments would have told him where he was, would have told him where the ground was, his altitude, where the horizon was, and he would have been able to safely fly. Well, my friends, this is our instruments. This is the instruments that we have. If we try to, if we try to go through life without using these instruments, we're just as like, like Kennedy flying over, over the ocean, and, and there's a danger of us flying into the ocean. So we need these instruments. The Bible's our instruments. And if our witness is going to be effective, we must have it based on reality. And reality is only found in Scripture. And Peter's model testimony here is built on the foundation of God's Word. But the third thing we see in this model testimony is not only is this foundation Scripture, but the testimony is centered on Christ. As we see in verses 22 and following, we see it's about Christ. See, after giving this quote from Joel about God pouring out his Holy Spirit on all flesh, you would expect for him to start talking about the Holy Spirit, right? The, the Holy Spirit and, and, and a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but that's not what Peter does. Peter talks about Christ. He talks about what Christ has done. He talks about his person, his work. In fact, the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to, to point to himself. The Holy Spirit is always pointing to Christ. And that's the way you can tell if the Holy Spirit's working. If people are speaking in tongues and, 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 and centering on the Holy Spirit, that's most likely not the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is really at work, it's focused on Christ. You're hearing Christ. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. In our gospel reading that Nathan read for us from John 17, Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, says, He will bear witness about me. He will bear witness about Christ. And the thing is, being biblical is not enough. It's not enough. 
Because scripture is about Christ. As I, as I was talking with the kids about having your Jesus-colored glasses, every verse is about Jesus. It's fulfilled in Jesus. It's, it points to Jesus. and it, it some way explains the work of Jesus. And without a Christ-centered approach, without these Jesus-colored glasses, we cannot correctly understand Scripture. And there are many people who use Scripture, but they use Scripture as, as divine wisdom. They, they look at it as a, as a, as a fortune cookie, as a, as a motivational speech, as, as chicken soup for the soul, all without Jesus. And this is an incorrect use of Scripture. Just last week, I was talking to a person who told me he heard a sermon about, from a prosperity charismatic preacher. And he said there was scripture there, but he said there was no gospel. There was no Bible. There was no Christ. And I've heard these things before. I've heard these types of sermons. And, and, and in fact, this was, this was my theology before I got converted. I would read the Bible, but I was reading the Bible for power. I was reading the Bible for, for how, what it could do for me, how I could harness this ancient wisdom to help me to be better in my career. That was my, I wasn't reading the Bible on its own terms. I wasn't looking to find Christ. I was looking to, to, to satisfy my own selfish motives. And the message of so many churches and so many Christians, or supposed Christian, is that it's all about you. It's all about what you can do. It, it promises you health. It promises you wealth. It promises you that you'll have no, no problems and no troubles. It, it, it's all just to, to entertain you, make you feel happy, make you feel excited. Promising you power and glory right now. There's no, never any sacrifice. There's never any dying to self. There's never any fighting sin, wrestling sin, killing your sin. There's no picking up your cross and following Christ. It's, it's all about what I can get. My friends, this interpretation is demonic. It is demonic. This is no different than the way de- the devil tempted Jesus. Remember, the devil quoted scripture to Jesus, but he quoted it out of context to make it seem like David, Jesus can get out of what God has called him, get, get out of the cross. See, the Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about the gospel. The Bible's not about our glory. It's about us being completely lost. It's about us being completely hopeless. And God has to to send Christ to us on a rescue mission. And Christ is the one who does what we cannot do. Christ is the one who becomes our substitute and does what we were supposed to do. He suffers the penalty for for our disobedience, and he does what we could not do. That is what the Bible is about. And Christ, and Christ alone, is the hero in Scripture. You ever read Scripture? I know when I, when I first started reading it, I didn't like it because I said, all these people here are losers. Everyone, everyone you read about does something wrong. Even probably King David, who's like the, the closest to a hero, then you see him going down in flames. Everyone is, it, there's no heroes. The reason why we don't like it is because God alone is the hero. Christ is the hero. Christ alone gets the glory. All the blessings go to Christ. And the blessings we get are not because we deserve them, not because we earned them. It's solely because we are united to Christ and we get his blessings. His blessings come to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Christ's blessings become our blessings because of our union with Christ. This is the message of the Bible, the central and overarching message of the Bible. And any reading of the Bible that neglects or, or minimizes this fact is false. It's false, even if it's quoting actual words of Scripture. And like Peter, our testimony must be both, be both, must both be biblical and Christ-centered. Anything else won't be effective. Anything else is false and counterproductive, maybe even demonic, which I would say some of these prosperity gospels are demonic. Our message must be about Christ. It must center on Christ. 
We can't simply point people to, to a generic God who loves everyone and wants to help everyone. Now, this could be the start of our witness, but we can't leave them there. We have to bring them to Christ. See, we do our, our unbelieving friends no good if we just promise them a, a generic God and we'll, we'll pray that they have a happy life, they get that job they want, or they, they, they have a, um, you know, won't get cancer or whatever, and we don't pray for their soul. We don't share with them Christ. At some point, maybe not right away, but at some point, as the Holy Spirit leads as we're in prayer, we have, to, we have to challenge them. We need to talk to them about Christ. We need to bring up their real need. And this brings us to the fourth point in this model testimony we've seen. This is one that we're probably not going to like. The fourth point that we see is that it's confrontational. See, Peter is bold in this, in this uh, speech. He, he's bold. He doesn't hold back. He not only proclaims Jesus as Messiah, but he also gets it personal. And look at the end of verse 36. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Remember, these are the people. He's he's in Jerusalem. It's less than two months after the crucifixion. And many of these people, many of these people are the people who are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So this could have got him killed. This This is very confrontational. And this is going to be the hardest part of a faithful witness. At some point, now not at the first contact, you don't want to be, you don't want to be the, you know, the, 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 the jerk that I was going up to someone right away and telling them about their sin. No, but at some point, as you've got a relationship with someone and you can see exactly where they're going wrong, at some point we need to bring this up. We need to confront them with the truth. And the thing is, no matter how gentle, no matter how winsome we are, we hate the truth. Our natural flesh hates the truth. And what's the truth? The truth is, unless we're born again, the way we're naturally born, every single person, no matter how good they seem to be on, on, a, on a, a horizontal level, we are estranged from God. We are God's enemies. We don't like to hear that. And this is really the source of all the problems in the world, is because we are estranged from God, because we are rebellious against God. And people do not want to hear this. We do not want to hear the truth. We will be repulsed by the truth. I was just listening to an interview at Rosaria Butterfield, and she was talking about speaking at, at a... Um, speaking at a school board meeting. And she was speaking at the meeting, talking the truth of Scripture. And then another person, who was a teacher, got up at the microphone, and all she did was scream. She went, ah! She couldn't take the truth that she was hearing. That's the response that an unbeliever is going to have when they are confronted with the truth. They will just react in, in, in utter rage. She says she has to bring her, her 20-year-old son as her bodyguard because she's afraid she's actually going to get attacked when she's giving them this truth that's in scripture and telling the, the, the truth of scripture so we will fight our flesh will fight against with, with everything that we have against hearing this but my friends unless we hear it unless we understand this bad news if we, unless we understand the bad news of our condition we will never we will never see our need for christ we will never flee to christ the only hope the gospel is the only hope see as long as as long as the unbeliever thinks they're okay they're, they're going to say, I've had people say this all the way. You know, they're going to say, well, if that's good for you, if that makes you happy, I'm glad, but I don't need it. I don't need that. No, everybody needs it. Everyone is in this condition. And when you tell them that they need it, they're going to be mad at you. They're going to hate you. They're going to say you hate them. But this is the truth. That's what Scripture teaches. Every single one of us needs us, and the gospel is our only hope. And our witness at one point or another, we always want to be liked, but at one point or another, we need to pressure we need we need to, to to tell them about this bad news and sharing this bad news will not be easy it will often be costly to us like i said it, it could have it could have killed peter as he's preaching to these people 
There was danger for Peter. There's danger to us when we confront others about their need for Christ. Now, thankfully, the risk of death for us is, is very small. Very small. Few of us are going to be killed for that. But that's not the case for, for all over the world. There are Christians today who are being martyred for their faith. Real brothers and sisters who are facing this, this threat at this very moment. But even if we don't face death, there still will be a cost. And we need to be careful to make sure we're praying, to make sure we're not, we're not suffering costs because we're being a jerk. We need to make sure we are following where the Holy Spirit is leading and, and, and we are to, to speak when he wants to speak. And because we face a, a, a cost doesn't mean we've done the wrong thing. So some people will face the cost of saying, well, maybe I shouldn't have done it. No, you should do it. You have to be faithful. As we talked about, as Nathan talked about in Sunday school, we're called to be faithful. Not the results are up to the Lord. We're called to be faithful. I remember I had a person that Lynn and I knew when we were in New Jersey. And this person, I felt really clearly that I should speak to her about the gospel. She was very much into New Age. And, and uh, at one point I just kind of wrote, I, actually I quoted from, from Psalm uh, 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And I used that to say how you need Jesus to be able to do this stuff. She got so offended. She wouldn't talk to us. And, and Lynn finally talked to us. She said, I'm so mad at you. How could, how could John say that I need this? And Lynn says, you're always telling us about Reiki and, and your spirit guides and all this stuff. You know, that's part of who you are. So, well, I won't tell you. I said, well, I want to hear that. She, she couldn't understand it. And she, she, even though Lynn talked to her, she basically we lost touch with her. I, I looked her up, uh, uh, you know, maybe two or three years ago and found that she is now like a high priestess and doing, doing um, you can come to her and pay her money and you can speak to your dead animal. So, so, so say Fluffy died and you can go speak to him. Fluffy can tell him that he's in, the, in, in the spirit heaven and uh, dog heaven. And this is what she's doing. But it wasn't wrong for me to, to, to witness. And, and we got to understand, not all of our witnesses are going to lead to conversion. The, the reality is, some of our witnessing will lead to hardening and judgment. We don't like this, but God is glorified. See, see what it does is, when this person gets to judgment, and, and uh, they realize that God is not the little fluffy, happy God of the universe that she thinks, and she realizes that Jesus is the only way, she can't say, God, you're not fair. They say, you had John told you. He gave you the gospel, and probably a whole bunch of others gave you the gospel. You're without excuse. They won't even say that because they'll know when they're standing that they'll know that they're condemned. And, and God is glorified in that. We, we don't like to think that, but if we are faithful, God is going to be glorified. Rather, we would want them to come to Christ, but even if they're hardened, God is glorified. And even though we're, we're, we're faithful witness and close this bad news, we have to understand we never only give the bad news. We don't just say, you're condemned, and, you know, you're going to go to hell, bye. No. The, and the last element that we see in this model testimony is that he always gives the good news, the good news of the gospel. And we specifically, we see, uh, we always tell them what they need to do to respond to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in this effectual call. And we see the Holy Spirit's work on these people in verse 37. In verse 37, it says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What shall we do? See, what shall we do? The Holy Spirit has gotten their attention. The Holy Spirit cut their heart. The Holy Spirit has gotten them ready to look for the answer. And the Spirit uses the testimony. The testimony that we use. He gives, he, we bring the answer to the people. See, these men were ready to hear the good news. And that's what Peter gives them in the next verse. In verse 38. It says, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this instruction 
is, is, is really just a simply a more specific um, version of what's quoted at the end of the passage from Joel in verse 31. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the answer. If you call upon the name of the Lord in faith, you shall be saved. Salvation is a free gift. There's nothing you need to do. There's nothing you can do to earn it. We simply receive it. Receive it by faith. We trust the Lord. We call upon Him. We repent. If we're not already in a covenant community, we are baptized. We take on that sign of the covenant community. And Peter gives this, these, these, these five steps that we can follow in this model testimony. And just to summarize what, we, what we've heard. The first one is respond where the Holy Spirit is working. We don't go on our own. It's just we respond where the Holy Spirit is working. Second is we're biblical. We use a biblical worldview. We don't, we don't use the world's worldview to argue. We use the scriptures to argue. But even that, so we are Christ-centered. We know all of Scripture is about Christ. And we bring that Christ is the only way. There's only one way to God. It's through Christ. So we're Christ-centered. And fourth thing is we have to be confront. We have to confront the unbeliever with his need for repentance. And fifth, we give him the good news of the gospel. We give him the only solution. That is what a model, this is what, that's what this model witness looks like. And then after we do that, we trust the Lord. We trust the Lord for the results. He alone is the one who can bring the results. And this passage we're looking at, Peter's testimony brings 3,000 souls into the, into the kingdom. As I mentioned before, there's a 25-fold increase to the size of the church just from that one sermon. Now, will that be the case for our witness? We pray, we, we pray that, that when we witness that there will be a positive response, but, but only the Lord knows. Only the Lord knows. But whether we see three people or 3,000 respond, or we see three people or 3,000 people hardened, it's solely up to the Lord. Our job is to be faithful. Our job is to, is to, to give the, what the Lord has given to us. Be faithful to those that he's brought to us. And the Lord will give us the result. We will be rewarded by the Lord for our faithfulness for the result. So our application this morning is, is basically simple. Prayerfully follow this model. This model of testimony. So, so when you have a, a, an interaction with, even with a believer, be, follow this model. Be, be, look for, pray for where the Lord is working and go to that place and, and speak to those people. Use scripture. Use a scripture worldview. Talk of Christ. Don't be afraid of, of, conf- of confrontation and share the gospel. So may we be faithful in this task and trust the Lord that the Lord will provide the exact results that will maximize his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is difficult. There's, there's no doubt about it. There's difficult to do, <clears throat> to be a witness for you. But Lord, we pray that you give us the courage to do it. Lord, make us aware of opportunities. I pray even today, Lord, as we go out from here, after lunch, as we're going out, if we're in the store, get a phone call from a relative who doesn't know you. Lord, give us the courage to see where you're working. And I pray, Lord, that you will instigate it. You will have <clears throat> people come to us and ask us these questions. And you will give us the courage to speak from your word to focus on Christ, to confront people of their need for Christ and and their fallenness and and the the reality that apart from Christ, we are your enemies. And always share the gospel. Always share share the good news. This is the only hope. This is the reason why we're here. It's the reason why after we're saved, you didn't just bring us back to glory. It would be a lot better for us there than, than going through this fallen world. So, Father, I pray that we will internalize this message and we will put this message into action. I pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.